everybody, Magnus here. You know, a lot of people make fun of 1990s comics. The way they tell it, you'd almost think they weren't avidly collecting those same comics themselves. But me? I've got a real soft spot for 90s comics, and so, starting in December of 2017, I'm launching a six-part mega-series called Cover Date, January 1991. The idea is to talk about, well, comics with a January 1991 cover date. Anyway, yeah, that's right. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is going back to January 1991 for a look back at what comics were really like. Is it really as bad as people say? Well, there's only one way to find out. I want you to test drive some 1990s comics along with me. Who knows? You just might find something to fall in love with all over again. So, come back to January 1991 with Trennis Magnus for a fond, festive, frolicking trip down memory lane. The fun starts in December 2017 only at Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. You can find Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at TwoTrueFreaks.com or by searching in iTunes. Or, I guess you could search on Google if you're feeling really lazy. Cover date. January 1991 because 1990s comics are awesome. form of comics intimately. What you need is a hobby. Words and pictures, it could be more of an art form. What the fuck are you talking about? I don't know, it's pretty goddamn weird. A guy dresses up like a devil, he's a blind lawyer, you know? We have to do Aquaman. No one with a lick of sense would watch that show. The word fan actually is a, an abbreviated form of fanatic. And there are some people who fit that category. I believe comics are our last link to an ancient way of passing on history. You can put on a uniform for football, year-round nobody cares basketball year-round nobody cares put on a star trek uniform people get a case of the giggles yeah hi somebody told me they make comic books here that's from superman smallville you have been trying that jedi mind shit on me since the eighth grade it doesn't work oh it works you guys must read too many comic books or something people do not masturbate in the dc universe that was the biggest load of crap i've ever heard
everyone, welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and what I'm supposed to say is that I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. But guys, I'm, the simple fact of the matter is that I probably spent the great majority of my time running this podcast talking primarily about comics. And honestly, you know, the reason for that is because... Well, I would think it's kind of self-evident, but just in case it's not, as much as I love movies and as much as I love TV shows, comics really are my first love. I mean, for me, when it comes to, I guess, my personal geek habits and just what I, you know, what I want out of this hobby, in the vast majority of cases, what it really comes down to is comics. You know, comics are my favorite format in the entire world. That's my favorite medium in the entire world. And so because of that, for me, it's all about comics. So anyway, now, as it relates to today's episode, what I'm going to be talking about is The New Adventures of Superboy number two. And the reason for that is because I talked about The New Adventures of Superboy number one back in episode number 209. And, you know, the fact is, I had a great time doing it. I love this title, The New Adventures of Superboy, and so, eh, just seemed like now is a good time to, to circle back to that, you know, before too much time passes, so that I can, I don't know, just keep the momentum going a little bit, because, you know, in a lot of cases, what ends up happening is I'll start talking about a new series on this show, you know, whether it's Jonah Hex or the shadow strikes or something like that. And guys, there could be in some cases like a hundred episodes or more even before I talk about the next issue. And so I thought, well, talking about super the the new adventures of Superboy number 2 so soon relatively after talking about the new adventures of Superboy number 1. I don't know. I just thought that would be unexpected and whatever fuck you. I just felt like doing it. So that's really the main reason for all of this. So this is The New Adventures of Superboy, number two. Cover date is February 1980. On sale date is November the 20th, 1979, so pretty fucking long time before the actual cover date. Cover price is 40 cents. <sighs> 40 cents. Jeez. Penciler is Kurt Schaffenberger. Inker is Dave Hunt. Writer is the mighty Carrie Bates. Colorist is Gene D'Angelo. Letterer is Ben Oda. Editor is Julius Schwartz. And the title is The Demon Next Door. Summary is as follows. Superboy returns home and answers the ringing phone. Lana Lang is calling and she's freaking the hell out about something. So Superboy disguises himself as Clark Kent and moments later, Lana rushes over. Clark lets Lana into the house and she instantly sees through his Clark Kent disguise. In fact, she never even calls him Clark. The entire time she only calls him Superboy even though he's dressed up as Clark. Lana explains that her father just got back from this big archaeological dig. He studied some relics that he brought back with him and after that he began conducting these strange black magic rituals and shit then his physical appearance just started changing and he's begun looking like a monster or a demon or something 
As Lana explains all this stuff to him, Clark uses his x-ray vision to see what's happening at the Lana Lang household right now, and he notices that the place is on fire, so since Lana seems to know his secret identity, he changes into Superboy right in front of her, scoops her up, and flies her back to her, back to her own house. The inferno has engulfed the entire house, so Superboy flies Lana's father out to safety. I should say here that Professor Lang looks totally normal and human at this moment. Returning to the house, Superboy discovers that he's unable to extinguish the blaze. Since it's the result of magic, Superboy's powers aren't having a whole lot of effect on the fire. The magic fire seems attracted to Superboy, though, so he allows all of it to consume him. With the blaze now put out in the Lang household, Superboy eventually extinguishes the fire and returns to Smallville just in time to save Lana from getting run over by a huge dump truck. Lana ran away in a, in a panic from her father, you see, and she eventually passes out from the panic of being returned to him, so Superboy and Professor Lang return to what's left of the Lang household. The professor explains that he was conducting a magic spell because Lana seems possessed and he was trying to save her. After saying that, he whips out a sculpture called the Twins of Kakra, which depict the forces of good on one side and the forces of evil on the other. Professor Lang explains that he's worried that the sculpture might still be possessed by the forces of evil and that somehow Lana's become affected by all this stuff. Superboy then melts part of the idol with his heat vision, which causes Professor Lang to go into a little bit of a conniption fit as he convulses and shouts. His face changes and he starts resembling a demon, just like Lana was talking about earlier in the story. This evil force leaves Professor Lang's body, talks just a little bit of shit to Superboy for a while, and then departs the scene. Later, Clark watches Lana while she's passed out in bed and reflects on how he knew what to do. Using his x-ray vision, he found notes in the professor's basement saying that the new magic of Cochra necklace that uh, Lana is wearing has an inscription that indicates that Lana is gonna be able to see someone's true self as long as she, re as long as she wears the necklace. That's how she was able to recognize her father had, be had become possessed by an evil spirit. And that's how she recognized that Clark is in fact Superboy. At that moment, Lana comes to and says that she has no memory of anything that's happened since she first put on the necklace, which is very convenient for Clark's secret identity. Clark then tells Lana that he'll explain the whole story to her. Well, almost the whole story. The end. So, what did I think? Well, as I've said, guys, I love the new adventures of Superboy. I love this title. And I and I kind of just like the concept of the new adventures of Superboy. Or maybe the better way to put it is I love the like what the concept of the new adventures of Superboy would ultimately become. Because at this juncture in the title's history, it really does seem like this is a Superboy who's basically figured everything out. He's pretty much on top of his game. And for the most part, he knows what he's doing, you know? As the title would grow and mature and evolve over time, that would start changing. And it would become a little bit more of a coming-of-age type of title, where sometimes Superboy handles 
emergencies and situations perfectly. And other times he doesn't. He makes mistakes and he basically does things, I don't want to say incompetently, but he doesn't do things as as smoothly as Superman would probably do. And the takeaway lesson from all of this is that these are the core lessons and uh, the formative experiences that Superboy has that enable him to be a better super uh, a super a better Superman in the future, you know. And so that's really what the what the franchise of the New Adventures of Superboy would ultimately become, you know. And I really enjoy that, you know. I like the idea of a Superboy who isn't he's not just a teenage superman he's a kid who has to learn how how to be what he's destined to become you know he has to figure out how to be superman you know and i think that there's a kind of strong and lucid argument that smallville as a tv show handled this lesson a lot better than the new adventures of Superboy did, but they both there there came a point when Smallville and the new adventures of Superboy they are more similar to one another than you might first think, you know, and I for one just fucking dig that I think that's awesome, so anyway to to move away from Smallville and to talk about this actual comic book though, this cover I gotta tell you this does have a it it does have a lot of a grab me type of factor to it. You know, you see a cover like this on the shelf, and if nothing else, it's gonna catch your eye. You know, it's basically Superboy engulfed in flames, and he's hollering out to Lana, trying to figure out just how the hell something like this could even happen. And Lana is pointing to her father, who is looking rather satanic. And he's holding this magical idol. And overall, I mean, this sets out, you know, this exact scene doesn't really happen in the story. But this does nevertheless set out the, I guess, the the core conflicts of what this story is going to be. I mean, this is a pretty, it does take a literal, uh, you know, it does take some liberties, uh, you know, in as much as th- this cover shows everything that happens in this story, in this issue. And there is no scene, no single scene in this comic quite like what we see on the cover. But nevertheless, all of these things that we see on the cover happen in the story. So it is it is pretty literalistic in a lot of ways. And I just kind of dig that, you know? This is... It, it's not good that the cover is like this, and it's not bad. It's just true. You know, it is what it is, and I like that. So anyway... To get into a page one, though, this is this actually kind of threw me off for just a second because what we see is this establishing shot of the uh, the Kent home, and then we see Superboy swoop through an open window, and then he answers the phone. Now, my understanding is that at this point in the character's history, he'd already constructed that underground tunnel that leads to the Kent house specifically. So Superboy won't be seen coming and going from the Kent house. And he can basically do all of this in secret, you know, and that's not really what we're seeing here. You know, I mean, 
he says that he's moving faster than the human eye can actually follow, which, you know, fuck it, whatever, I'll ride with that. But it's just, I thought the entire point of having the tunnel was that he can go as fast or as slow as he wants to go, you know? So, I don't know. It's just, it's it's not like this ruins the story or anything. It's just, I thought that was a little bit weird. So, anyway. Um, from there, basically, what what happens is Lana comes over, and even though it's Clark that answers the door, she instantly recognizes him as being Superboy, and she's really conversational about the whole thing. She doesn't seem shocked or surprised. She just, uh, she doesn't even, in fact, remark on the fact that Superboy is wearing Clark Kent's clothes. She just calls him Superboy, and it's just very nonchalant about the whole thing, you know? And Actually, you know what? Before we even get into that, the, uh, on page two, in the second panel, Superboy, he's hanging up the phone and he's thinking to himself, Lana sounded nervous, frightened. She couldn't be worried about flunking out of, uh, uh, flunking out of school, not with her grades, and to confide in Clark Kent, of all people, and he just, in his voice, his inner monologue just sort of trails off. And again, this kind of raises a little bit of interpretive difficulties, I guess, with where things stand with continuity, because I thought, again, by this point in the character's history, Clark and Lana were, they weren't just people who saw each other around, uh, around town or at school or something like that. They really were friends. And so if Lana wanted somebody to talk to, I don't see why why she wouldn't call Clark. I mean, that just doesn't scan for me. Now, normally, I would just be content to, you know, write this off as the writer maybe not having a full grasp of what of what's happening in continuity at this moment. But, you know, look, the fact of the matter is this thing is written by Carrie Bates. And so am I going to lecture Carrie Bates about... Uh, character <clears throat> and about continuity and you know the character's history and all and all of that stuff. I mean, I don't I don't think so. I don't think it's my business to do that. So, what I'm assuming here is that there's a dimension to this that I'm just missing, or at least that's that you know that that's what I uh, that's that's actually what I uh, did assume uh, when I when I first read this story, and so I decided to just sort of I guess look. Uh, look back at where exactly it is this story takes place, you know, in in the scheme of things. And if we assume that this story is, it basically follows right on the heels of The New Adventures of Superboy number one, he's basically, he, he's basically 16 years old, right? He He's just turned 16 years old. And so it, stands to reason that, you know what, maybe at some point in the future, Clark and Lana are going to be a lot closer, but they're not especially best buddies right now, you know? And when you think about it, my understanding of goings-on with the with Superboy Volume 1, the ongoing title that preceded this one, that the Legion of Superheroes ended up just sort of hijacking... What I thought we were supposed to infer from that title was that Superboy was, he was a little bit closer to 
graduating from high school. He was perpetually a senior in high school throughout that entire that entire title, right? And so this uh, the New Adventures of Superboy, this title is taking place a little bit earlier in the timeline. And so to me, it kind of explains how Clark and Lana can be relatively buddy buddy with one another in the previous Superboy title, but maybe not be quite as close with one another in this title. And if memory serves, they do actually become better friends and they become uh, better acquainted with one another throughout the run of this title. So I'm assuming that's the real explanation for all this. I could be wrong. And honestly, I mean, I seriously doubt that Carrie Bates listens to my podcast, but in the unlikely event that Carrie Bates is listening, dude, if you would, send me an email, trentusmagnus at gmail.com, T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S, and just let me know. But uh, anyway, so to get back into the story, though, basically what you have is Clark and Lana, and they're basically not exactly shooting the bull with one another in, in Clark Kent's living room, but especially since Lana thinks that she's talking to Superboy as opposed to Clark, but in any case, she's basically leveling with him everything that's gone on with her dad ever since he's uh, gotten back from this uh, big archaeological dig. And one of the things that I kind of like about this is on pages one and two, the entire story takes place in real time. And so the panels are are uh, are squares and they have those right angles as their borders. Whereas the when you get into page three, this page contains flashbacks. And so the flashback panels, instead of being the same kind of perfect square with right angle borders, they're squares, but they have more like soft curved borders to them. And so it kind of distinguishes them from the panels that take place in real time. So just at a glance, you can recognize the fact that yes, these are flashbacks. And the instant we get back to real time with Clark uh, talking to Lana at the bottom of page three, it's back to those uh, uh, square shaped uh, panels with uh, right angle borders, you know? So that is to say 90 degree borders. And I think that's kind of an, uh, that, that's just a neat little, actually, is it 90 degree? Well, fuck it. Whatever you call that degree. It's, uh, it, it's just, it's a neat way of, of telling the story visually, you know, such that just at a glance, you know, you don't necessarily need to read the text. I mean, reading the text is going to help you get a lot of fine detail that the art just can't provide. But nevertheless, the art is basically carrying uh, the majority of the story. And I like that, you know, I, I mean, I don't know this to be true, but what I've always kind of assumed is that especially as things got a little bit more underway with the new adventures of Superboy as a title, Carrie Bates became more and more comfortable allowing Kurt Schaffenberger to basically tell the story visually, you know, and not rely quite as much on inner monologues and dialogue and, and captions and all that stuff. He was a little bit more content to trust Carrie Bates, or sorry, uh, Carrie Bates became more content to trust Kurt Schaffenberger with 
carrying the story visually, you know, and we're already getting a hint of that here, but I think it becomes more apparent as things progress with this series. So anyway, uh, moving right along, we're, you know, getting into page four and basically Clark makes the decision to uh, switch out of his Clark Kent clothes and just change into Superboy right in front of Lana, which kind of sounds a little bit suggestive when you say it that way. But anyway, he thinks to himself, since Lana evidently knows I'm Superboy, I'm, I might as well do the costume change in front of her. Besides, uh, Professor Lang doesn't have a second to spare. And so he, he does a shirt rip, grabs Lana, flies out of the Kent house, returns to the Lang house. And at the bottom of page four, he does this kind of George Reeves style crash through the wall in the Lang house. And it's kind of interesting that Professor Lang is covering his face. Obviously, there's a reveal here that uh, that uh, the creative team they're they're basically saving this. You know, they don't want it to become evident at this moment that Professor Lang doesn't look like a demon right now, and so they're basically saving that for just a little bit longer. You know, and it's not overly distracting. You know, it's it's just uh, Professor Lang is covering his face, you know, as indeed he might in, in the middle of a fiery inferno like this. And then when you get into page five uh, on, in the uh, second panel, we see Superboy fly out of the house and he's got Professor Lang covered up in his cape. So, again, Professor Lang's face is covered and we can't see that he looks human. You know, and then in panel, uh, panel three, Professor Lang stands with his back to the camera, so to speak. So again, not seeing his face. And then in panel four, we do see his face and he looks dun, 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 normal. So what the fuck is going on here? Right. And what I like is the fact that the story doesn't really dwell on that too much. He Basically, Superboy flies back into the Lang house and has to figure out a way to put out the flame, right? And his, his, inner, his inner monologue is actually very revealing here. He thinks to himself, if Super Breath doesn't, doesn't blow them out and a Super Vacuum doesn't smother the flames, then this is no ordinary fire. It must be a psychic, quote-unquote, fire the result of a magic spell gone out of control, which I don't know about you guys, that happens to me all the time. Actually, it doesn't. So, on page six, Superboy thinks to himself, I noticed the flames seem to be seeking Professor Lang out, as if they were stalking him. Uh-oh, the black magic fire is turning toward me now, surrounding me. This is a risky ruse I'm trying, considering my superpowers aren't immune to magic, but I've learned that taking risks is being part of, is part of what being Superboy is all about. So he basically absorbs all of the fire, and that basically puts out the blaze in the Lang house. He flies into outer space, and he even thinks to himself, I didn't actually expect the vacuum of outer space to have any effect on my flaming condition either, but at least out here, I have plenty of room to build up to super speed. Supernatural flames aren't bound by the physical laws of this universe, so, with apologies to Dr. Einstein, by breaking the law, 
against going faster than the speed of light, it, I cross over into hyperspace, where, without a, li a living being to, uh, present to sustain it, the supernatural fire fades out of existence. And indeed, that's exactly what happens. Now, I can't help thinking that that in if Carrie Bates had written an a scene like this or something along these lines in a future issue of the new adventures of Superboy, he would I don't know, I mean maybe he would put this much text on the page because this really is a lot to explain uh to the reader why exactly Superboy's well, I guess number one, what exactly Superboy is doing here, and number two, why he's doing it, and then number three why this works, you know? So that may be more uh, than Kurt Schaffenberger would be able to convey visually, but I can't help thinking that if this was done in a future issue of The New Adventures of Superboy, there wouldn't be as much text on the page, you know? I think Bates would probably be a little bit more willing to trust Schaffenberger to convey at least some of this through his art, you know, once we start getting into the 20s and the 30s and the 40s of this title, you know? So, anyway. <sighs> to get back on topic, though, on uh, page 7, I just like this. I, I really like this entire page, you know? I mean, I like the art all through this issue, don't get me wrong, but I really like the art specifically on this page because uh, in uh, panel 3, we get the semi-close-up of uh, Superboy, and he really does look kind of like a young Christopher Reeve. Now, if you guys have ever seen pictures of Christopher Reeve when he was younger, he doesn't quite look like this, like what we're seeing on this page. But if you were just to imagine what Christopher Reeve might have looked like when he was younger, yeah, he might look a little something, something like this. And so it's not distracting. You know, this isn't done in the same way that Gary Frankenstein always drew Superman or God knows, Superboy, you know, it's, if you see the similarity to Christopher Reeve, you know, like the chin and the brow and like the set of his eyes, then yeah, you know, if you see it, you see it. But it, but this isn't an exact copy of Christopher Reeve. I mean, the nose is different. The, the lips are a little bit different. Uh, just the shape of his head is, it's not quite Christopher Reeve. I mean, there are some differences here, you know? And so if you recognize a little bit of Christopher Reeve in the art, good. You know, but it's not like somebody was uh, tracing publicity photos of Christopher Reeve or anything like that. I just dig that, you know. A tiny little flavor of Christopher Reeve if you want it to be there, but it's also kind of deniable if you don't want it to be there, you know. So either way, it works. But the other thing is, I guess just the the sort of, 1960s largesse of these visuals where this looks like suburban America as it was in the 1960s, you know, and that's how Lana is dressed. And that's the way that, um, you know, just kind of circa 1960s fashion. That's the way that, uh, the truck that almost runs her over on a uh, page seven, that's, the kind of design styles that it has, just a very 1960s looking kind of truck, you know, and the whole thing just seems very 1960s Americana, you know, and I I like that. But another kind of neat moment is when 
you know, Superboy swoops down to to save her on page seven. And then on page eight, he realizes, you know what? I don't think I'm going to get there in time. So he blasts her into midair using his super breath on a on a page seven. And in panel one of page seven, Lana is like holding down her dress, you know, so that way she doesn't flash her undies to the whole world. And <laughs> I don't know why. I just I just like that. That is just such a cool panel. I dig that. So anyway, that lifts her into midair. Superboy catches her. And then he... Um, lands in front of Professor Lang, which causes Lana to go into a panic, after which she just faints, you know, and this is just really economical storytelling, you know, every, there, I don't think there's a single redundant panel anywhere on page eight, you know, and it's all, I mean, literally every single panel on this page tells us something new. It gives us new information, you know, it's just, this is the work of a master, in my opinion, you know, this is what it looks like when a real expert is steering the ship. And anyway, so moving right along, we get into like this extended talkie portion on pages nine and 10 and really even stretching into number 11. I mean, this is a shitload of exposition that's going on here where basically Professor Lang ex uh, explains everything that's gone on with this archaeological dig, with this sculpture that he found, and, you know, what exactly the uh, religious significance of all this stuff was supposed to be, etc. And then on page 11, you know, we get another one of those uh, flashback panels that has the curved borders to it, as opposed to those really sharp and straight borders. And I just fucking dig it. I mean, again, it's just a really creative way of uh, conveying the fact that this this single panel on page 11 uh, takes place in in the past that this is a flashback that that we're seeing here you know and i just love that you know that's a this is just th these are the kinds of i'm i'm just going to be honest with you guys these are the kinds of layouts that i just really miss comics having i wish comics would go back to this you know because the way that most comics are laid out today it's all very it's almost like a collage in, in in a way, you know? And I just, I don't like that as much. So anyway, so at the bottom of page 11, Superboy melts the, uh, he melts the idol, which drives the, uh, the evil force right out of, uh, Professor Lang's body. And as that's happening at the bottom of page 11, uh, the evil force says, ah, you tricked me, Superboy, but how? How did you know? And on page 12, Superboy somewhat answers that by saying, how did I know it was really Professor Lang who was possessed and that your scheme was to trick me into destroying the good head? So you no longer have to fear the power of Ahura Mazda, which is to say, insert generic good thing here. Sorry, demon, but that's my secret. No wonder that uh, the fire, which is sacred to Ahura Mazda, tried to destroy the professor. And so the evil force says, You vanquished me this time, but someday I'll return to avenge this defeat. We'll meet again, Superboy! <laughs> and it's just kind of hammy dialogue. I fucking love it. This is great. So, anyway. Elsewhere, and later, 
uh, Superboy, or I should say Clark, basically keeps an eye on Lana while uh, she's laying in bed, and he basically exposits how exactly it was that he knew what to do in uh, destroying part of that sculpture. And I already kind of covered that in the summary, but it's worth mentioning that throughout every single panel in this story, until Clark takes it off her on, uh, this is uh, page 12, panel four, every single panel uh, in this story shows Lana wearing this, this uh, necklace. And that's basically what allowed her to see who, or at least what Professor Lang really was. And that's what allowed her to see what Clark Kent really is. And it basically shows her the true self of any man. I mean, the, the inscription says, whoever shall wear it, meaning this, this necklace, whoever shall wear it shall be able to discern the true self of any man. And it does kind of make me wonder, you know, like if she wore this necklace, what would she see when she looked at a regular person, you know, like somebody who doesn't have a secret? What would she see, you know? And, you know, we never really get a get an answer to that, but I'd be kind of interested to know, to know, like, you know, Lana's wearing this necklace and she's talking to Pete Ross. What is Pete Ross's true self, you know? And it just kind of makes you wonder. So anyway, but that's basically it. Um, the, the story is just, it, it just seems very Smallville-ish to me that, you know, something along these lines might have been the subject of an episode in Smallville. And I don't know. I mean, I just, I've always kind of thought that of all the Superboy comics or all the Superman comics or what have you, the new adventures of Superboy, like I said earlier, it bears the most similarity uh, to Smallville. And I don't think that's the only reason I like it, but I think that plays a major part in why I like it. So anyway, all in all, this is just a really fun story. I dig it. And this is the kind of thing, honestly, that I want from from Superboy. You know, I, I always thought that, you know, Superboy needs to be in some way or another different from Superman. It's not really as much fun if Superboy is just a teenage version of Superman and this guy has no growth, no maturity. He has really nothing in his future that's going to make him grow into a man. If there's literally no difference between Superboy and Superman, there's no difference between boy and man. It's just not as interesting. Whereas if Superboy is a character who has to learn how to be his best self as represented by Superman, to me, that's just a lot more interesting, you know? And so we get a lot of that in Smallville and we get a lot of that in the new adventures of Superboy. And I think that's one of the things, like I say, that I've always just cherished about the new adventures of Superboy as a whole. So anyway, I don't know this to be true, but what I suspect is you'd be able to get the new adventures of Superboy, really any of these issues, but since we're talking about number two, the new adventures of Superboy number two for pretty cheap as a back issue, I'd imagine. I don't think this is going to set you back too much. I mean, maybe it would. I don't know. But I just, I don't think it would. So, anyway. But, that's really all, I, all I've all i really got to say about 
the new adventures of of Superboy. So, like I say, if you want, I, I do recommend picking up all the the whole run of the new adventures of Superboy, but especially the second issue. This is just a really fun story, and that I think is pretty much it for me this week. So, bye everybody. I will see you next week. or the alternate universe comics. Now, that's not an obscure comic company that's known only to local comic stores. What I'm talking about are comics that gives us a different spin on characters we know and love, from your Elseworlds at DC to your what-ifs at Marvel. Why am I doing it? Well, there are two reasons. First of all, I love the unlimited possibilities that the multiverse has brought us, and I wanted to share that love with everyone. I will be talking about all sorts of alternate continuities. If it wasn't canon, I'll talk about it. Elseworlds, what if? Intercompany continuity is because, let's face it, very few of those count. I'll also be talking about non-canon minis like Superman Birthright, Shazam A New Beginning, Bob Layton's Hercules, and even Heroes Reborn because, let's face it, we're all glad that never stuck. And on a few occasions, I'll even be discussing the Doctor Who Unbound audios. I'll also try and get interviews and Q&As with as many comic creators as I possibly can. Now keep in mind, this does not count full running company lines or eras, so no children comics or the ultimate comics. The all-stars, maybe. Oh, and the second reason, well... Hey, how's it going? Hey, what are you doing in my room? My room? This is mine at... Wait, Sean Engel? What are you doing here? Sean, I'm... I'm Robert Willing, and... Wait, you look like Sean Ingle. Ugh, okay, I get it. You're from a world where I'm Sean Ingle, and you're me. Man, you... you get visits, too? Yeah. You see, folks, my house is set in a unique location of the multiverse, where every world intersects, and I get occasional and very random visits from other me's. Tell me about it. Once I met a version of me where I was Guy Gardner. Pre or New 52? Neither. It was the collateral damage one. Yeah, I met him. What an absolute jerk. Oh, holy cow. That, uh, that Guy Gardner was such an ass. So join me this summer as I grant first the multiverse and share different iterations of churches you love, as well as deal with other people. And then, you know, Jacob decided to take away the whole Boldarian thing and make a Boldarian storyline. It was just awful. What the hell was he thinking? I'm kidding. See you soon, everyone. Elsewhere in the multiverse, look at all your favorite alternate iterations coming soon to a podcast near you.
Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trentusmagnus at gmail.com. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy. <laughs> <laughs>